The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to the first Insiders podcast. We are in Washington, D.C., standing outside our hotel room. It's 48 degrees, very, very cloudy. It's been an historic week, and that's what brought us to Washington, D.C. A record number of women now work in Congress. Just in the House alone, 102 women. That is almost four times as many as two decades ago, and that includes two Iowa women. Iowa had never elected a woman to the U.S. House before. Now the state has two. We were also here four years ago to follow Joni Ernst. She became the first Iowa woman to get elected to the U.S. Senate. So on this first episode of the Insiders podcast, we will talk to three historic figures in Iowa. First, a little background on our first two history-making guests. First District Congresswoman Abby Finkenauer, she just turned 30. She's a Democrat, used to be a two-term state legislator from Dubuque up in far northeastern Iowa. Last November, she defeated two-term Republican incumbent Rod Blum. It is a Democratic-leaning district, so it wasn't a huge surprise, but Iowa tends to reelect its incumbents. So Finkenauer was able to stop that trend and win. Our other guest, third congressional district representative, Cindy Axney, a little bit older. She's 53, a little bit older than Finkenauer. She's 53. She was born in Michigan, but went to the University of Iowa in Iowa City and then later moved to West Des Moines. Last November, she defeated two-term Republican Congressman David Young in this third district. Now, this is a swing district. However, registered Democrats outnumbered registered Republicans for the first time in about a decade. So things were building for a change here and Axney took advantage of that. We sat down with both women in Finkenauer's new and bare office in Washington, D.C. And we talked about a lot of things. We talked about how things happened so fast and this transition from the November election, that victory to the first official day as a member of Congress. And we talked to them just hours before they got sworn in. They had so much to do in a short amount of time. They had to fly to D.C., find a place to live, hire staff for their congressional office out here in D.C., but also for those district offices back home. And Axney had to figure out one more thing. She had to hire somebody to handle her small business. She has a small business, a digital design firm back in West Des Moines. She runs it with her husband. Well, she's not going to be around, so she had to hire somebody to help her husband keep that business going while she's away. We talked to both women just a couple hours before they got sworn in, so it was their anticipation of that big moment. So we got to talk to them about sleep possibility of impeaching Donald Trump, their goals, the transition, those bare offices that I talked about. And also they told me about their nicknames that some people have given them since they're both going into Congress here from Iowa at the same time. 
Finkenauer is the young one, as people have referred to them, Axne, the tall one, and she is a tall woman. I'm about 6'1", and I think she's at least at my eye level here. And since this is a podcast, and we're talking to both of them at the same time, just a, a little hint here, the first voice you're going to hear after mine is Finkenauer, the second one is Axne. First of all, tell everybody, since you are historic figures in our state now, what are you thinking and how did you sleep? I was I slept well. I was tired. <laughs> so I slept pretty well. I don't know about you. Yeah. Not quite. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I'm just so honored and humbled to have this opportunity. And as a fifth generation Iowan, it's just overwhelmingly great feeling uh, to be able to represent our state and then to be serving alongside and making history with Abby, uh, who has such a great background and pushes so many positive issues for our state. And we're just already working together and we're excited to be here doing this. Very exciting. Yeah. No, it's really an honor to get to serve um, with soon-to-be Congresswoman Axney in just a couple hours. So um, Congresswoman-elect is such a long title, so I'm excited <laughs> to cut out that elect part. But um, no, it's it's been Honestly, you know, I got to know Cindy a little bit during the campaign and then, but since we've gotten elected, it's been just great to get to talk to each other about what we want to work on and uh, to get to make a little bit of history together is pretty special and it really is an honor. Can you give people a sense of what the transition is like and how do you describe it? Is it chaos? Is it like you have so much stuff coming at it, you have to find a place to live, you have to do so much stuff that's not normal? Give us a little insight about what that's like. Yeah, so uh, I'll start with it, it was shocking because you get elected on a Tuesday and on that next Monday you're flying off to Washington DC for training and so uh, you immediately dive right in and uh, you go to all the classes and uh, learn about hiring your staff all of that stuff and then you start putting together your district offices and um, it's been it's been a whirlwind and I think we're just you know we're excited we finally got to this day and there's still more work to do um, to making sure that I you know I get all my district offices up and running and um, all the staff hired but um, we're I, I'm excited about what we've been doing for the last couple of months you at least have a little background in office you're a total rookie at this right did that make it even harder well you know right now I'll tell you, my background in starting up organizations, running businesses, leading big divisions within large departments, um, that this type of transition is somewhat familiar with me. It really is all of those little intricacies that you have to put together because it's like you're starting up a small business by hiring staff and opening up, in my case, four offices. Are you how many offices? Um, at least three. Um, mm -hmm. And then you're transitioning your life out here. You're trying to find a place to live. As we joked around earlier, you know, I've still got scratchy sheets because I haven't <laughs> washed them. So it's not a real comfortable bed. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so you're just trying to get all of these things combined and then at the same time get caught up on the bills that we're going to be voting on today. We'll be sworn in and we're going to go right to vote. Um, and so it's been, it's, it's a really big mi um, mesh of so many different things. And then if you're also like me, I'm down, uh, I'm trying to take down the work that I've been doing in my own personal business and we hired somebody. And so there's a lot for people to do. Um, will you talk about the history side of this? You are part of a big group of freshmen, but clearly a record number of women as well. Does that make it a little bit easier in that, and of course you all can go in together here, um, you're kind of 
taking with you sort of an extra badge here, right? You're not just a, a winning candidate, but you're a history-making figure. What is it like to be part of this huge class of women going into Congress? Well, I, I mean, it's an, it, again, it's an honor. It's about what we talked about earlier, to be able to walk in here, make a little bit of history together, um, but then talk to all the you know incredible women across the country that got elected from all different parts of the country, to be able to have real discussions about different viewpoints and uh, work together to start getting things done for our country again and for our state. I think you know one of the biggest things I've told folks is I truly believe that that election we had a couple months ago, the 2018 election, was 100% a referendum on Washington, D.C. and the fact that we need to work together and get things done. And I think, you know, we did have a record number of women elected, and that's what we came to do. So I'm really excited about it. Very, um, yeah. And, we, and we're, you know, we've got, we've got women, and we've got great guys, too. But, uh, really you know, uh, and across the aisle, we've had an opportunity yeah. in many bipartisan settings to meet multiple people. So that's been very exciting. But I'll tell you what, we've got women who are nurses, social workers, astrophysicists, doctors, CIA, CIA yeah, I mean, on and on, yeah. state uh, senators, you know, small business owners and, and public workers. And so I think it's really interesting because we bring a whole new reality uh, out here. Very, very much, we're, 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 we're your neighbor. You know, we're, we're hardworking women, we're multitaskers and we're problem solvers. And we're seeing that in our conversations and we're moving forward and starting to get things done. Uh, you were joking about people, um uh, humorously referring to you as the tall one and the young one. So to the young one here, you just said you're 30th, so this is a heck of a way to start your new oh, decade. Thank you. Do you. How do you look at the dynamic because, so you're gonna be the second youngest, yeah. right? Uh, there are some other ones, uh, young like you in your 30s, right? Uh, Lauren Underwood and Illinois, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, New York, obviously. Yeah. Um, do you see that there will be a generational thing um, with these millennials, you know, kind of making your impact here? Will we see that dynamic at all, do you think? Well, I mean, we know how to turn on our computers, which is good. No, I'm just kidding. But um, no, I mean. Was that a shot at you? Oh, no, no, that was a shot at you, Oh, my gosh, no, no, no. Um, no, I mean. It's, it's funny, I talked to some of the, I, so I'm actually, I got elected vice chair of the Future Forum, which is the under um, 40, 45 members of, or Democratic members of Congress. And um, one of those I was talking to, and he was so funny, he said uh, he felt his first couple of years he was the help desk because he'd get calls all the time about how do you work the iPad or things like that. So it, that's kind of funny. But in all reality, I mean, I don't think it's so much a generational thing that is as exciting to me as it is um, just, again, folks from all over the country having these different viewpoints and having respect for each other to have real conversations and making sure that, um, you know, we are doing what's right by the American people. Um, you know, we haven't had that many voices from the Midwest to get here to um, really step up for working families. And that's what Cindy and I were elected to go do to help, you know, help out Dave Lobsack and or Congressman Lobsack and, uh, you know, make sure that those voices are heard. So I think that's what excites me the most. Some people, I would assume, who you met on the campaign trail, look at your party as the check on Donald Trump because we've heard impeachment talk, we've talked about, we've heard all kinds of things, investigate his business, his actions, all kinds of stuff. How do you navigate that going forward with passing bills that will help the country versus how do you handle the president? So how do you navigate that? Well, I think, and 
Abby, I think, really fits this mold as well. We, we talked, uh, the entire race was about kitchen table issues and putting more money back in the pockets of hardworking Iowa families and reducing costs. So addressing issues of bringing better paying jobs, um, you know, protecting uh, our workers, making sure that we have affordable quality health care, that everybody can have a post-secondary education, whether it's a, uh, you know, a trade school, an apprenticeship, two-year or four-year. So that's what my focus is, and I know we've had these conversations, yeah. and of course with Congressman Loebsack as well. That's our focus for Iowa. Uh, and, and I think we're, we're setting a really great stage today uh, as we move forward to hopefully pass H.R. 1, which lays a really great framework for democracy, uh, has three elements within it, voter integrity, uh, making sure that we take uh, big money out of politics, and put ethics back in government. So I'm from the belief that if you lay a solid platform like that, you have a better opportunity to pass really impactful policy like we're talking about that are gonna help Iowans. For the folks watching, so how do you handle the impeachment question? How will you personally handle it? Well, you know, for, for me, um, I came here to get to work. And uh, I know the Mueller investigation is still going on. It should be protected. And uh, to make sure that we don't play politics with this and, um, you know, it, it, to be fair to the American people, that investigation has to play out. And so um, I'm 100%, again, supportive of protecting that investigation and making sure that um, they're able to do right by the American people. And in regards to working with the president, I've been very open about the fact that I will work with anybody if it helps Iowa and our country, but I'll absolutely stand up to anybody who hurts us. And, you know, I was really vocal um, on the campaign, and I'll continue to be so, about the fact that this trade war that was started on Twitter is continuing um, to hurt our state um, in a very negative way. And we're, I'm excited to be here to continue to be somebody along with um, soon-to-be Congresswoman Axney and Congressman Loebsack standing up, making sure that folks know um, what's happening in the state of Iowa and who's responsible. Uh, history aside, the president's situation aside, you're coming in here really at a time of chaos where part of our government is shut down. Obviously, that's not normal, although it happened three times in 2018, so maybe it is normal. But how, how, how does that end? Because it, at least from what we see on TV, we have the president saying and tweeting this stuff, spe incoming speaker Pelosi saying this stuff, no wall, he wants a wall. How does this get resolved? Well, our first vote today is to reopen government. Um, and I think that what we're putting forth is, is a really sound uh, po uh, position and that, this is, that President Trump should agree to. Uh, you know, it's essentially opening up government, which we need. But it's need. no border wall money, right? That's correct. Uh, but it does set aside uh, the, you know, Homeland Security. We fund them through February 8th so we can negotiate the, you know, and talk about what that uh, border security looks like. So I think it's really important that we get government back up and running. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not just the families who are really being affected by this that aren't taking home paychecks, hundreds of thousands of families. Um, but secondly, we all know we are, it hurts our economy um, and it, it really impacts people's livelihoods when we shut down government. So we've got to reopen government and I certainly hope that President Trump agrees to a solution that was passed in a bipartisan fashion in the Senate. Absolutely. And I'll just, um, you know, underscore what um, Congresswoman-elect Axney just said. I mean, we are literally voting today on the exact same language that passed that Senate bipartisanly. Um, it's, it, I'm excited to get to do it. I mean, 
our whole reason we got here was to go get to work. And so it's pretty symbolic that we get sworn in today and then immediately go do our jobs. And that's exactly what the American people expect of their representatives. And um, again, it's, it's about time we do what's right. Uh, can I ask you about this fancy bear office? Oh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so you're actually, if you're, if you're watching, obviously, uh, you're in uh, my office, and I was joking earlier, literally the only thing in here right now is my dad's uh, sweatshirt that I kept with me, it's over there, um, it's the one with the tiny little holes all over it that, um, you know, he would weld in, and uh, it's like, God, that thing has been all over the country, and he... Uh, anyway, it stayed with me in the state house uh, all my four years to remind me every day who I was fighting for, and uh, I said I was absolutely going to bring it to Congress, and it was the only. Right now, it's the only thing in my office. So uh, excited to! I have a I have a bag somewhere around here that um, some that I think my parents brought in with uh, photos and all that. So I'll get those up here soon. Well, will that be the most special thing in the office? That's what you're. It was the first thing in here, and it absolutely will be the most special thing in here. Can I ask you about yours? What's your office looking like? Well, for ISU fans, they're going to love it because it's full <laughs> of red. <laughs> a red carpet, red drapes. It's a, so, you know, you, there's not a lot of color palettes here. So it's either blue I or red. I went to Drake, it just so that must have been the there blue for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you, you, listen, we're, we're both in the Cannon Building. We would love for Iowans to come visit us. Please do. We're yes. on first and third floors. It's a twofer here. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a great space. It gives us, you know, what we look for when offices, we were told, proximity to yes. get to the floor to vote and essentially closest to the stairwells and elevators to make it easier for you to get there quickly. It's all about speed <laughs> and getting to yeah. where you need to be. This is a beautiful building and I'm really excited. And Very yeah, I have good. nothing in there yet. Just <laughs> wires hanging out of walls, I noticed. <laughs> the two Iowa women who just made history by getting sworn into the U.S. House. So now our third history-making woman, Joni Ernst. We talked to her in the Russell office building in Washington, D.C. Now, when we were here four years ago, she was actually in a temporary office in the middle of her own transition. We also talked to her on her first day on the job. It's been four years later, so she's established, and we had to wait a little bit to talk to her. She had a phone call that went over a little bit. She was talking with Ivanka Trump, the president's daughter, and they have been working on a plan for parental leave. A lot of details to try to figure out here, and they've been working on this for a while. Republicans, though, who had the majority in both the House and the Senate, and of course the White House, since Trump is there, well, they failed to pass anything on this while they had that majority. So now we will see if anything can happen as Democrats are now in control of the U.S. House. We started our conversation with Senator Ernst with what has happened since we last came to D.C. Four years ago <laughs> when we were here was your first day. Yes. Uh, what's different? Well, I am in a different office. So I started out over in the far corner of heart, but um, obviously have settled in and the experiences of the United States Senate have really taken me far with a number of Iowa-focused initiatives. So it's been a great four years. There was a lot of talk about history when you got in, obviously, because you made history. So we were with the incoming Iowa Congress women, Cindy Axney and Abby Finkenauer. If you could give them some advice, what would it be? 
Well, I saw uh, Congresswoman Axney this morning, so we had a nice conversation. And just the first piece of advice that I would give to Cindy and Abby is number one, this is their day. So enjoy the day. Don't let other distractions interfere with their moment. This is their moment. Um, but beyond that, I said then tomorrow the work really starts. So uh, my advice to them, as it would be with any uh, woman that is entering into uh, obviously a, a male-dominated world, uh, is to go in and be the subject matter expert. Whatever you are passionate about, learn as much as you can about it and present your platform, um, and they will do very well. Can you tell us how you look at that? And, and I mean this in the sense that when we ask you about the historical sense of your election, you will talk about it. You typically, when you're out campaigning, when you're holding events, that isn't something you necessarily bring up on your own a lot. So how do you strike that balance with sort of being an inspirational leader, which you've talked about to girls so that they know they too can aspire to get into office or whatever they choose to do versus just the day-to-day -day of doing the job. It is historic. Uh, it, it is, but I tend not to focus on that. And I would remind other women not to focus on that too. I would remind men of that as well. What we want is the best of the best. And if you are the most qualified person, that's what we want to focus on. And that's why pursuing your passions and making sure you understand all of the ins and outs of those passions and to be able to present it in a policy platform, that's what's important. And that's what our constituents want to know about, not what our gender is specifically, but are we the best and can we represent them? You got in four years before what we just experienced with this explosion of women getting elected all over the place. What do you think? People have a lot of different philosophies and ideas about why that happened. What do you think? Well, again, I think everybody had interesting ideas and what resonated with our voters, whether it was in Iowa, whether it was somewhere else, what really touched them, what moved them in that direction. I don't think people were necessarily looking again at gender. I think they were looking at what are those ideas that are interesting to me? What are the ideas that are important to my family? And will these people actually pursue that once they're in Congress or in the Senate? And will they make a difference for me? Uh, you have been part of bipartisan legislation in the past that would address harassment, yes. particularly in the military. Did that, how did you become connected to that? And how do you plan to lead on that moving forward? Well, again, I think it shouldn't be gender specific, but this topic, however, there are more women uh, statistically shown that are affected by sexual harassment, whether it's in the workplace, whether it is in a military workplace, uh, college campuses. Uh, we saw with the Olympics uh, what was happening there. But because I had been a leader in the military, and that's what we were focusing on at that time, I just assumed that role as well as working on harassment issues. 
uh, in the military. So very important, but it has uh, spread across many different areas, uh, led on uh, campus-specific legislation, have also worked on the Olympics and making sure that there were corrections made in the way we do business there. But also right here in the United States Senate was also a leader in that area and making sure that we got legislation passed to hold senators accountable for very bad situations. Uh, surprising to you that members of Congress could basically use taxpayer money to pay out settlements and such when they misbehaved? It was surprising to me that it had happened. Uh, it was not surprising to me that they would use the system. Uh, for their benefit. And that's one of the reasons I have been here in the United States Senate. What I told my folks back home is that I'm going to Washington to make them squeal. You know, we should represent our constituents and be representative of our uh, constituency base. So we shouldn't have special perks for members of Congress that others back home aren't able to have as well. We are talking to you on uh, the day the new Congress starts, but we are in the middle of our third partial shutdown. Yes. How is that possible? That is possible because we haven't found a way to come together in the middle. And I do think we need to be able to find consensus. The president has made it very, very clear that he wants to see $5 billion of spending for border security, for border security. And what is surprising to me is that uh, Senator Schumer and a number of other senators in 2013 had actually supported $8 billion of funding for border security. And now for them today in a new era with a different president, $5 billion is too much. Um, I think we have to get over that and do what's right for a nation, and that is protecting our homeland. And if we don't want to see the type of human trafficking, gun trafficking, narcotics trafficking over our border, we need to be able to control that border. Are you worried that this will become the norm? That this is how we're going to start forcing compromises, that we're going to take drastic steps like shutting part of the government down? I hope not. I didn't want to see this government shut down. I, I don't like seeing that happen. Um, it is being used as a tool right now, and that's very unfortunate. Um, so we need to figure out a path forward. Again, the president has made it very clear on what he wants to see. So what can we do to help others and, and help them move forward with their agendas while achieving the president's as well. Do you feel like your caucus will remain resolute with the president on that, that that money has to be in there for border security? I do believe so, I do believe so. Do you think the president talking about the wall, does that kind of muddy this up in this, obviously $5 billion isn't gonna build a wall all, all through the border there. Does, no. that, does that get stuff kind of twisted and heightened and politicized? And I think a lot of things get politicized and twisted and we just need to focus on the fact that we do want to secure our nation. Uh, we do have a process for immigration into the United States and for asylum seekers. So I think we do have a system in place. We need to use it properly, but let's get through this. Let's find consensus. Let's move forward and get our government working again. Uh, talk about what the next year is going to be like. Uh, you're now going to be an incumbent. 
yes. running for re-election. You haven't been in that position, at least on this level. What's that going to be like? What do you expect? Well, I do expect that I will continue working very hard for Iowans. I know that. That's always uh, first and foremost in my mind is to do the right thing for Iowa. So I have done that a number of accomplishments that we'll continue talking about in the upcoming year, but then also uh, push some, some new agenda items as well. Of course, protecting the RFS and, and making sure that Iowa farmers come out first on that is important. Um, strengthening our military is something I'm always very concerned about and making sure that we're protecting our veterans. I have to say the best part of that office, there is one of those popcorn machines as you first walk into her office. You can smell that fresh popcorn as you come from down the hall. It's from Jolly Time. That is a company in Sioux City in Northwest Iowa. That company's been there since 1914. And Ernst staff was telling me that that fresh popcorn is very popular, not only in her office, but in the neighboring offices there. And a good reason for people to come by and grab a handful or two or three. And Senator Ernst did admit to us that she does indeed enjoy eating that popcorn as well. Special thanks to photojournalist Randy Schumacher for making the trip to DC with me. Randy came with me four years ago and he was crazy enough to want to do this again with us. So thanks to his help for sharing all of our coverage on television and online and working with me on this first Insiders podcast. Thanks for checking it out. I'm sure this will evolve as we move forward, but it does give us a chance for a little longer conversation about politics and the impact on Iowa and our lives. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.